Welcome to Learning by Design, a professional development podcast for the faculty of Bay State College. I'm James Grenier from the Office of Instructional Design and the Virtual Center for Teaching and Learning. Join us each episode as we discuss the tips, tools, and techniques of education online and face-to-face in a changing world. All right, so welcome and thanks for tuning into the podcast today. I'm James Grenier, the instructional designer for here at Bay State College, and this is part of a series of continuing podcasts on the topic of education. And our guest today is Clark Aldrich, author, consultant, and guru of all things related to simulations and learning. Uh, Clark's newest venture is a technique called Short Sims, and he's graciously agreed to join us today for a chat about this exciting learning technique. Thanks, Clark. Welcome. Yeah, my pleasure to be here. What could you tell us a little bit for people who are brand new to the idea of short sims? What are they and what are you doing with them? So it's a very, very big concept in a very simple package. The very big concept is how can we change what we think of when we think of educational media? So right now, if you think of educational media, you think of a textbook, you think of a a, a film, you think of a, a lecture perhaps. And when we ask students to do things, they tend to take tests or write papers or talk in class. And so my, my big challenge is saying, how can we make learning more interactive? How can we make this stuff, uh, how can we, we create a, a more interactive learning experience? And the stakes are actually quite high for this. I just go, go off a bit more of a tangent. And which is on one hand, if you asked most schools, high schools, colleges, whatever, to teach leadership, they wouldn't know how to do it. Uh, I mean, they'd say, okay, well, we'll have a lecture on, on leadership or we'll get a book and we'll all study a book on leadership or whatever. But, you know, you look at a skill like that, a learning to do skill, um, an action-based skill, and, and you start really realizing as you start peeling back the sort of the academic onion that we really have over however many years, 400, how long, it's, how long has it been since Gutenberg? Uh, you know, we've really developed a, a philosophy of, of educational content around passive content, not active, because it's been cheap and easy to deploy. Uh, and so, you know, again, we, we, we stop short when we have to do things like teach leadership or teach project management or teach security or teach, or teach stewardship, all of these active skills. We really don't have the, the arrows in our quiver to do. And that's sort of one side of the coin. The other side of the coin is, I mean, school is, is basically unfair right now. Right now, there's a tremendous amount of students, and we all see this, who, who don't speak the language of schools, who don't speak this sort of passive learning to know content and they have to translate it and in the translation they become frustrated and sort of unhappy and there's nothing native about it so these action-based learners i think are probably result in a tremendous amount of dropouts and one thing that i've done in my, in my various research is looked at people who utterly failed out of high school uh you know we're we're, we're ne'er-do-wells we're problem students in in high schools and or colleges um and then went into a place like the military that understands this notion of action-based learning uh and they thrived and they became superstars there and so again same person uh different context and that i think when you look at some of the the societal ills that we've been looking at in the last mumble number of years five six ten whatever i think a lot of it is because a lot of the action based learning people, typically males, but obviously not exclusively, um, have really just not found a home in schools. And so, you know, you combine those two things. You combine the fact that we can't teach active skills like leadership on one hand, and the fact that we have an unfair system, a system that discriminates against a huge percentage of the population on the other hand, and you start, you know, starting to realize what a massive problem we have in front of us. 
Yeah, so you're really talking about really when it comes down to it, just an equity version. Where is the equity issue? Which you're talking about people who learn in different ways, you know, and trying to do that. And I think in some ways, so Bay State is very professional oriented. So we have a great nursing program that's well forward uh, therapy assistant program, so PTA. And even some of the, the IT and the business, they're getting more and more hands-on. We had a fashion major that they're working on now, which is a fashion retail mark slash marketing. They're kind of redesigning that. So it's interesting when you talk about doing this, especially now with the pandemic, there are things we can still do face-to-face, -face, but there's also a lot more online learning. How would you look at uh, short sims or have you looked at short sims as kind of trying to take some of that content and make it more active in a situation like that? Right. And again, just to slightly to nudge us a little bit, um, it's not just a matter of how do we make our old traditional content active, which is definitely part of it. But the other part is how do we approach new areas that we, that we didn't dare to tread um, before because we didn't have the methodologies to do so. So I think there's both sides. How do we make the current content better, but also how do we address areas that, that we, we never addressed uh, before? And the other, again, let's just add more questions before we start answering any of them because sure, sure. I'm me and you're you. Um, <laughs> So, you know, another, you know, question is like, is how, how do we increasingly use this interactive content, not just to teach vocational skills, not just to teach sort of tactical skills, but how do we use interactive content to teach strategic thinking? How do we, how do we use short sims and other kinds of interactive media to get people thinking about things more broadly? So part of it is here's how to use a stethoscope. Here's how to read this machine. Here's how to interview a patient so that you, you understand what the real problem is. But the other one is, you know, how do we understand complicated systems more through interactive content? And so I think we can handle both of those. We can teach bigger, broader theories and bigger, and we can create the real aha moments that we all aspire for in the education biz you know, using short sims and sometimes a very, very short sim. I, mean, I had one um, short sim that I made and short sims just, again, now I'll get to your definition finally, which is short sims are a methodology where um, anyone can create short interactive scenarios. And these short interactive scenarios, and there's a tremendous amount of, of pedagogy around it in terms of, you know, how do you set them up and what kind of coaching do you build into this? And, uh, you know, how long do you let people go down bad paths? And obviously there's a whole lot of things. I and mean, choose your own adventure books is sort of a nice place to start from a thinking perspective. And it's a little more nuanced than that. But, you know, it's sort of how do we create choose your own adventure books for more and more content. And so one of these short sims, i.e. choose your own adventure books, but in a very short way, um, you know, gave someone the, the challenge, had them thinking about diversity. And so this issue around diversity is saying, you know, you're, you're a farmer uh, and you want to you grow crops. And you can either grow... Um, the same thing you've always grown, sort of the, the plant raspberries, or you can plant a diverse a diversity of, of different fruits. And most people, you already know how to plant raspberries. You already have raspberries planted. So you kind of you know, keep leaning into creating, in this case, you know, doubling down on your homogenous environment and you keep planting raspberries because raspberries are profitable and you try some of this new stuff and it fails. And so you get, you get frustrated. And so you keep going down the raspberry path. And then suddenly there's a raspberry drought or a raspberry blight or a raspberry, you know, it doesn't really matter what it is, but something that, that just kills out your entire monoculture and then you're left high and dry versus you, you could play the exact same short sim and go for, you know, force, force yourself to embrace a diversity of plants, especially plants that you're not so familiar with. You start off roughly, you don't really know what you're doing and it's frustrating and you lose a bit of money and some of your, you know, your fellow farmers who are just planting raspberries do better. But because you kind of pursue down this, this path of diversity, we don't call it diversity, but 
this path of moving away from monocultures, uh, you know, after three turns, again, the whole simulation takes about three or four minutes to play. It's not a long one. Um, mm -hmm. But now suddenly you have a thriving farm that has survived and even thrived when all your, when all your competitors got wiped out by the raspberry blight. So again, it's a little example of how you can create a few interesting interactions by learning by doing rather than being learning by told, you know, you, you understand the problem infinitely better and you understand the solutions infinitely better and you actually learn things like conviction, uh, not just sort of a passive awareness of things. Yeah, and I, by the way, I love that little sim because I, I played it several times. And one of the great things about it, you mentioned the choose your own adventure. So people who aren't familiar with that, there were these books you could read and you could flip to different pages that said, you know, if you enter the, a lot of it was like Dungeons and Dragons related, but it could be science fiction. It could be anything. There were romance, uh, choose your own adventures, all kinds of things. You know, if you choose to uh, to act the person out, you go to page five. If you choose to walk away and chicken out, um, you'd, you'd go to page 15, whatever. And so it would take you down your own path. And I noticed with that simulation you were talking about too, is like that was really engaging. And there's a there's an element to these where you know you want that choice and you want to try. And I remember the first time I tried it, I said, okay, I think I know where Clark's going with this. Let me try to go down this path. And it kind of took me where I wanted, but then it took me in a different direction. I said, wait a minute, I have to try that again. One of the things, and, and we also talk about this, and, and Peter Shea, who actually is going to interview another one with us, uh, who's done a lot of this kind of thing, he has yeah, this great, great example. Yeah, yeah, he's great. As a matter of fact, he's the one that connected us years ago, and I appreciated that. The, he talks about the flight simulator. His typical example is, you want your pilot to be someone who attended Harvard and had a thousand hours of high-quality lectures, or someone who went to some community college somewhere in the Midwest, but had it access to a flight simulator and had a thousand hours in which to use that. Who do you want flying your plane? So it's very much sort of that, you know, as you're going. And by the way, I, I would choose the simulator. And part of the reason though, and getting back to that sort of making your own choices, we all know the first thing they do in a flight simulator is crash the plane on purpose. No, it's crash the plane <laughs> in that by accident, but yeah. No, I, I crashed it on purpose. Maybe I'm, ex, you know. <laughs> I, I, I try to fly into the bridge on purpose, but yes, and, I, and, I, and then I end up crashing, not, not on purpose. But yes, I, I, get, I get your yeah. point. But it, and, and that gets to one of the giant profound observations, which is we only learn when we're lost. Mm -hmm. We don't learn when we're, you know, we don't learn how to get somewhere when we have a GPS telling us where to go. Uh, we only learn when we're trying to get someplace and we get totally lost. And it's that sensation of loss that gets us leaning forward, that gets us, you know, I, I want to get over there. I want to get to that convention center. I want to get to that restaurant. I want to get to that meeting. And I can see the building from where I am, but I can't figure out how to get there. You know, and that's when we, or I'm late for dinner party and I'm stuck in the middle of suburban nowhere and, you know, and time is ticking out. You know, we only learn when we're lost. And so some of the, the goal of a good simulation design is saying, how can we get people lost? I want to back up for one second here because I think something like a flight simulator is both a great analogy and a terrible analogy. It's a great analogy because it makes the argument effortlessly. So there, that's good. But it's a bad one because it sets a precedent that is fairly untenable by most people. And so that becomes the, oh, sure, if I could afford something like a flight simulator, why not? And the problem, again, flight simulators are even worse because they are not just, you know, it's not just expensive to build the next flight simulator, but they are, they require very specialized hardware, which is a problem for, mo for most people. But they're also the, the beneficiary of, what, 50 years of, of nuance and research and design. So when you sit down on whatever, whether it's Microsoft Flight Simulator or American Airlines Flight Simulator, and I've done both, um, 
you know, you're, you're looking at something that has probably a, you know, is it 97.3% fidelity and it's incredibly expensive to run. And it's the result of gazillion years and a gazillion dollars of, of intellectual property. I think that's too daunting for, for all of us and certainly too daunting for me. And I tried to go down that path and I, and I, and I did not succeed. Um, so for me, it's exactly the opposite approach now of saying, what's the simplest thing I can do? What's the least I could do? How can I use clip art? Well, how can I, how can I create a meaningful interactive short sim in about two weeks time? Uh, what, what's the least that it takes and, and what's the methodology that I can develop um, in order to get anyone, a professor on, on, you know, over the, over a couple of long weekends. Um, you know, I built a great short sim, that short sim that I, I told you about whether it's great or not, but I built it over a long weekend and I was just like, I was bored and my, my, you know, it was, it was a, you know, the, it was a pandemic and I had, you know, and, and, and I was stuck at home. So I was like, I know, I think I'll build a short sim on diversity. Cause I'm just, you know, you think about it. So I'll, I'll build a short sim where someone could teach themselves the business value of diversity. And, you know, and, and, you know, it takes them three minutes to play. It took me a long weekend to create. And so, you know, that's gotta be the goal for us is not to um, even talk about, I mean, talk about, of course, uh, not to think about flight simulators or, you know, AAA computer games as the standard because they're not, they're actually incredibly hard to work with and very hard to customize. And I think if you had educational content in the form of civilization, which again was also often hailed as sort of the goal, it wouldn't catch on it. Professors don't want a 30 hour computer game experience they want much shorter much and things that they understand more and it keeps keeps them in the role of of being someone who can who can add value to the situation so these are much simpler uh the idea is that one person can create one short sim in about a week if they know what they're doing uh and then you know by you know using clip art intelligently and by using other you know using you know a pretty rigorous interviewing process one of the one of my favorite ways of interviewing people uh, is asking someone what are common mistakes. And so if you're interviewing a subject matter expert in order to create a short sim, you can ask someone what's the right way of doing it. And this is obviously a, anything from performing complicated calculations to doing a sales call to, to helping a patient understand, diagnose their, you know, what, what's wrong with them. Um, to preventing an armed robbery, um, you know, and, and then you, you know, you start by asking the subject matter experts, what are the common mistakes? And then you sort of say, how can we, how can we get people to make those common mistakes in the context of this simulated environment? I'll give you again one quick example on the, on the last thing, the the, the armed robbery. Um, I create a sim where to help people understand if you're a if you're a bank employee how to how to prevent armed robberies. And so, okay, I start off the sim saying, okay, you wake up, it's you know you wake up in the morning, you, you have a busy week ahead of you, you have um, you know you're in charge of a of, of a of a bank branch. You have breakfast. What, what do you have for breakfast? I'll give you five choices. You want orange juice? You want grape juice? You want Pepsi AM? Because it's always fun to say Pepsi AM. Um, make your choice. And it's a silly question. It's stupid. There's no, there's no importance to it. You make your choice. Okay, great. You, you drive to work. You, you have to park your car. Do you park your car really close to the employee, really, really close to the bank entrance? Do you park it a little further away? Or do you just drive around the parking lot? And so everyone's going to say, well, I know I shouldn't park right in the, in the best possible spot. So I'm going to park a little bit further away. Uh, and drive in parking lot who wants to do that so you park you get out and there's suddenly an armed robber who is hiding you know in in the woods uh who pulls out a gun and and what's called it's what's called a morning glory rob robbery where they rob you sort of first thing in the morning before anyone else gets there if you had driven around the parking lot 
you would have seen the the bad guy's car and then you would have looked a little closer and you would have seen the bad guy and you would have called the police. And so, you know, in, in two turns, we set you up to make you very receptive of saying, you know, A, robberies can be prevented, but B, you know, when, when we get distracted and start, you know, focusing on other things, we can let, let important clips, uh, important uh, uh, clues slip by. Yeah, no, that's, that makes a lot of sense. So when you first start, the element of choice, again, you've started right away, talked about what are you going to have a, for a drink, you know, before you head out. And that may or may not be something that plays in, or is it that, or is it something to get them used to the idea of what a simulation is in this particular case? The nice thing to say is it gets them used to making choices and not really worrying too much about them because you do want to desensitize people to choices. The more evil thing is that you're setting people up to be sucker punched. You're setting people up to, to take this stuff for granted, for, to let the stuff flow over them and then get them too comfortable so that they, so that they make the mistake. So I'm absolutely, it's a fair sim. It's, there's nothing about it that's, it's not a cheap shot, but most people, I've set this up, most people are gonna fail. Most people are gonna have a gun pointed to their head, even though they know it's the sim of preventing robbery, they're still gonna probably make the mistake. I've set them up to make the mistake. And, it's an, and then the, the reason I set them up is because it's a real world mistake. That's what we all do. We all focus on getting to work. We all focus on being productive. We all focus on being good at customer service so that we miss in this case, sort of the, the obvious clue of, of, of a bad guy. So it's a complete setup on one hand. And on the other hand, it is sort of getting them used to the interface itself. Yeah. And it's low stakes. I mean, because it is and see indeed a simulation. It's a, it's a metaphorical gun, not an actual one. Yeah, it's a literal. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a representation of a gun uh, as opposed to a metaphorical gun. I'd, I'd like to do one of the metaphorical guns. Yeah, well, there you go. Like Sorry, but <laughs> it sounds like a fun challenge. Um, but uh, we'll create know, some so philosophy we... sims. That's all. You know? <laughs> so this is not a pipe. Yeah, <laughs> maybe it's a pipe and not a pipe at the same time. Depends on if it's in the box. It's a painting of a pipe. Is that is it's a painting of a pipe. A pipe. Yeah. So um, I do want to ask you about some of the technical side a little bit, but I guess what I'm talking about, you mentioned the subject matter expert and how it opens up the conversation. So in a college course, we've used these before. And so if you're working with a professor, what this really can do is open up the conversation in a larger way. So the student goes online, they go into Canvas or whatever the learning management system is. Maybe they go through the simulation prior to a lecture section or in which case a lot of times we flip the classroom we don't even lecture we'll, we'll play a lecture ahead of time in this case students could go through a short simulation if a professor had it and open up that larger conversation in class they might say all right now that you've gone through the simulation where what did you come up with share with each other either or or share all to the major group at the same time but you're opening up those larger conversations they might say oh yeah i did that and i faced the gun right away i really should have paid more attention or something Absolutely. And I, um, so a bunch of different things there. And first thing is when I, if I were a professor and I would be sort of saying, Hmm, I think I want to make a short sim, but I'm not quite sure on what it sort of be on. It would mostly be on like, what's the stuff I can't stand to teach anymore. What's the stuff I really, really hate teaching. And most people hate teaching for one of two reasons. One is because it's too easy to teach and it's kind of boring. The other is too hard to teach and no one, no one gets it. And so if I was a professor and saying, well, here's just, you know, here's just some basic information I want everyone to cover. Great. Let's do a short sim on it. Let's get it out there. Let's, let's get them playing with it. But in, in the other short sims are good around, you know, here's this thing. No one ever understands the figuring out the cost under the curve in econ 101. Everyone always gets lost on that or everyone always gets lost on, on derivative you know, non-Euclidean geometry, whatever. What are the things, especially in situations where you say, I, as a professor, can explain something in class, I can give a great lecture on it, my best lecture ever, on how to do perform something, 
and then I give people homework and they all just get deer in the headlight looks. Um, so in some cases, how do I bridge the gap between my, my fabulous lecture and then actually being able to do it? Because oftentimes it's not just hearing the content once, but being able to play with it and play with the content in sort of a chaperoned way. And so you can build in chaperoning and, you know, here's the mistake. Here's not only that you made a mistake, but here's why you made the mistake. And, you know, here's a different way of thinking about it. And so in some cases, you can use a short sim to sort of teach a big idea that maybe people have missed. Other times, you can sort of walk people through a process, giving them higher level abstracted decisions to make sure they understand the philosophy before they then start, you know, zooming in even lower and understanding the specifics. So you can, you can do all of that uh, in the short sim mentality. The other, and again, we collectively uh, who are working on this stuff are faced with a lot of really interesting decisions right now in terms of content. And one big one that you mentioned here, you know, how much free will and how much diversity do we want a sim to represent uh, and diversity in the sense of, you know, if I play this sim and you play this sim, do we, you know, is it better if we get really different answers or not? Are we personalizing the experience? And those of us who grew up on computer games, especially complicated computer games like Civilization, take this notion of diverse outcomes very personally. You know, you sort of want to create your empire and therefore you want to focus on trade or you want to focus on whatever. And, you know, to what degree is that kind of diverse outcomes valuable in what kind of short sims? And these, again, and this, I don't have a good answer for you. I think in some cases it's, it's a huge mistake to have a huge diversity of outcomes it's probably a mistake to build a huge diversity of outcomes for the first time you make a sim. So I think we, we start off with this native expectation that diversity is, is, of outcomes is good. And then I think we kind of grow up a little bit and say, well, maybe, you know, maybe a more predictable experience that, that where people's mistakes, where we can catch people's mistakes early on and sort of put them back on, on the right path is maybe a better thing for now. But then I've also built simulations that have, you know, that have allowed people to travel down many, many different paths. And, 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 you know, there's some fun in there too, but also people get more lost and, you know, it's not quite as, as zippy and pithy. And, you know, so if you're a professor and you say, I want to give people an open-ended simulation to allow them to play around with something and kind of come to their own conclusions. And then we as a class can talk about that. And that's when we get the situation saying, you know, how many people ended up with the civilization revolting? How many people ended up with the civilization turning into a fascist society? How many people ended up with a, you know, whatever. And then you can kind of ask those questions. Here's, you know, you all ran a business and you made 10 business decisions. How many people had a stock price higher than $10? Okay. How many people had a stock price higher than, than $20? How many people decided to automate? How many people decided to fire all the employees and outsource or whatever? And so, you know, you know, you, you can, depending on the need, you can kind of create short sims that have a terrific amount of diversity, but in some cases, in more cases than we think, that's actually a terrible idea. And the most thing we want to do is, is allow people to go down a very predictable experience, make the mistakes they would really make in real life, like forgetting about the person, you know, driving, parking the car and going to work and forgetting that, that you have to be aware of such things. Um, and then catch all, catch all the bad habits, catch all the mistakes, and then at the end of the day, sort of, you know, be through the process in a very predictable way. And so you know, these, are just, these are just some of the pedagogical questions that we're still thumb, thumb wrestling and wrestling with as we're, as we're creating sims and we're seeing how the audience responds to them. 
Yeah, and that's actually one of the roles that an instructional designer would have with faculty to sit down and ask them what outcomes are you looking for? Because when we do any kind of assessment or any kind of real learning, we, if we're doing our job correctly, it's sort of backwards design. So we say to her, what's the outcome we want? How can the students show us they know something? And then how are we going to assess that? And then we backfill it with whatever the pedagogy is. So if you're designing a simulation, we're saying at the end, what is the outcome that we want? And it, a lot of these sims aren't necessarily a right or wrong answer. They're more open-ended, there are better answers than others as to what kind of results you get, but it depends on what kind of result you're looking for and then walking them through that process. You mentioned also the simulators and you know, this is something that can be done without thousands or millions of dollars and millions of hours of time and, and, and coding expertise in 15 languages, right? Or, or any skill set whatsoever. I'm using myself. I yeah. have no skills. I have no skill whatsoever. I can't draw. I can't. I'm. I'm, I'm not programming anymore. I'm not doing any of this stuff. How can someone? <laughs> how can someone with with no talent whatsoever in anything uh, create really really good simulations? And that's and again in in hopefully in less than a week. And so that's that's the real goal here. I'm sorry. Continue. No, no, that's okay. So that was my next question. What kind of platforms do you use, or what kind of platforms would you suggest? And I have a few answers here that I know already, but like a good lawyer would always want to know the answers first. At this one, I I kind of do. Not a lawyer, but what would you say? Like someone's new to this, or they want to try it. What kind of platform would you have them look at or what would you suggest they, they look at as far as the tech side of it goes? I'm going to give three answers. The first answer is almost good news. This technology is going to become more ubiquitous in the short term. So according to everything I've seen, this, this kind of approach to content is getting more and more democratized. So that's sort of the, the good news. The next two answers are both less satisfying, but I'm going to, I'll put them in order. The, sort of the... The right answer is go to branchtrack.com and sign up for the one free short sim option and make your first short sim in branch track. So go there. It's the, the first sim is free that you can make and do it, make as much as you want. It's a great tool. It's really easy to use. Uh, and just, just to get the hang of it, really understand again, what it's like to think nonlinearly, what it's like to put together experiences, what it's like, to, how do you take, take challenges and present them to people in, in a good way. So that's, that's the sort of the, the first thing to do. The second thing to do is look at an open source program like Twine uh, and look at some examples of short sims in Twine and go down that path. It's a little harder to get started. It's a free, you know, it's a free tool, it's an open source tool. So it's sort of easy to say it's great. Uh, it's a little harder to do everything. So you wanna, you wanna get your skill set sharp in branch track uh, and you wanna understand it there and then sort of move to a more open source tool like Twine all in all, and again, and or if you're using Captivate, uh, uh, Captivate provides, again, like Twine, sort of a harder way of doing it. And so you want to learn on a, on a native tool where it's designed to do learning to do first and then move to a, you know, a, a tool to which you perhaps have more read, ready access and, um, and even some support. Yeah, and for our faculty here at Bay State, I'm able to walk them through that sort of a process too. And you're right, Branch Track does give you the basic start and it's really great too because you get to kind of move around as far as the, the branches go. It's very easy to manipulate. Um, it's all right there on the screen, so it is easy to drag and drop. Um, and then you can add characters. You can have the characters talking to each other and there's, there's a lot of different options there. Um, some of the early ones, I remember Peter and I were talking about, we did the, um, the rhetorical simulations or ret sims as he called them. The whole concept was to give writing students the ability to see 
what good writing was and to make choices. So instead of having to do that, because the, the challenge was to generate the text. So when you get, especially with, we worked with uh, basic writing students, students will always of any kind, and this is this probably true in the corporate area, they'll say, well, give me an example. What, what do you want me to write? And so we would do is we'd give them like three different examples and we'd say, here's your, your simulation. This is, this is who you're trying to talk to. This is your outcome. And you'd say, you know, you're, you're writing a, a introductory letter or a cover letter for a resume. And the person you're talking to is uh, Marsha Fagenbaum. She's 42 year old marketing manager and you're gonna tell her why you'd be the best person for this job, why you deserve an interview. And then there would be you know, one really great choice and the next choice would be okay. And then the way we did that particular one was the last section was a really horrible choice. Like, you know, you know you would never say this. And then they'd click that it would, and we did it with PowerPoints and it would take you down to the next level. We'd open up that conversation. Okay, what did you choose and what do you think is the best option? And what's nice about something like branch track is it's just so much easier to see that. Again, my, I got my little simulation brain going when you mentioned the, the Redstone there. And so a couple of different ways of approaching that. One, one way of approaching that is sort of saying, maybe I don't want to get students worried about all the wording because words, you know, you either like words or you don't. If you don't like words, trying to organize words is pretty miserable. So you can say, rather than have to write a letter, I'm just, all you have to do is organize it. So three paragraphs, is the first paragraph gonna be building relationship? Is it gonna be a nice thing? Uh, is it gonna be about me? Is it gonna be about the, the author? Might, should I praise the author? Should I praise the person saying letter to and say all these wonderful things about them? Or should I um, don't say anything and just cut right to the chase? So that might be the first decision of, do I you know, play nice? Do I gush and, and praise and suck up or do I do nothing? Um, Second paragraph, um, I'm gonna explain, you know, explain my own value proposition or my own you know, whatever. Do I make that as short as possible, two sentences, sum it up as fast as I can, or do I want to spend six paragraphs on it going in great detail? And then the third decision is, do I want to give a next step for the person to do? Do I want to say, don't worry about the next step, I'll take care of the next step, uh, I'm going to email you again in a week and we can talk about this, or do I want to, um, you know, point to some point, hey, we I saw we both went to blankety blank college, you know, go Browns or whatever. So. You know, so you give people, in this case, three strategic decisions to make, and maybe each one have three. They don't have to do any writing at all. They just have to make some strategic decisions, and then they can sort of see how it plays out. And then in the right sim, you know, you'd, you'd have customized feedback, uh, you know, in terms of the person got the letter. Well, first of all, here's what the letter would look like, or here's one way that letter would work if you made those decisions. So again, we're not making anyone do any writing. We're just making them think about the, the structure of a letter. Uh, and then, so here's what it would look like. Uh, and then part two of that is, and here was the response. Here's how it worked. And by the way, if you wanted to go over and try again, saying, well, I didn't get the job, but I, the person liked me and put, you know, recommended me to someone else. So that wasn't too bad, but I, I really want to get this job. Let me try again and make, make some different decisions. So, you know, what will be nine permutations, um, you know, not so hard to program. Um, but some, so someone can, you know, play through that sim three or four times and really experiment with different formulas and sort of see what works in a very finite world, but in a way that feels very open-ended. The second thing to think about, again, is if I was designing that simulation, and I don't know the process that you and Peter went through to do it, but you know, I would be asking a writing professor, what are the common mistakes that a freshman makes or a senior makes in writing a business letter? And they're gonna say, oh my God, I can't believe all these students do blank and blank and not blank, or all these students do that. And so you, know, you, you end up with, 10 or 20 common mistakes 
that a student does when writing a business letter. And now when you're making the sim, you look at all those mistakes and say, you know, you rub your hands and you give your, you know, your evil laugh and say, how can I create a situation where I can get a student to make as many of those mistakes as I possibly can, you know, in a way that's fair, in a way that's not a cheap shot or, or, mm -hmm. or you know, sucker punching them. But, you know, how do we create a very natural environment where we allow people to both make these mistakes, tell and call them out on the mistakes they made, uh, in real time, say, nope, the reason you want to do that is X. Uh, you know, or I understand the reason why you want to do that, but, it, but it's wrong because X. So in that sort of second scenario, it's less of a laboratory. You're less playing with the concepts like in the first version, but there is a, you know, there's more of a right and wrong. No, that's wrong because, no, yes, that's right. Good job. You avoided this trap. Well done. Um, and so by the end of the sim, which is a more linear experience, you've played through and you, you, you know, you really have a sense of, of, you know, what is right and what is wrong and why are the wrong things wrong and why, and why are the right things right. And so again, it's a cool framework that you and Peter came up with. And it's, you know, from my perspective, all these ways of playing with it. Sounds good. Well, Clark, I appreciate your time today and everything you've, you've given us here. There's a lot to think about, which is great. You're always good that way. How can people find out more about what you're doing with short sims? I would go to shortsims.com forward slash examples. Uh, everything I'm saying is gibberish, probably full stop, but until you sort of see a few yourself and play through a, self, play through a few yourself. And I'll go back to that question. So shortsims.com forward slash examples. And that'll give you whatever, seven or eight short sims to play with. And, that, and, and you can watch videos too. You don't even have to click anything. You, you know, if you're really lazy, um, you can just watch, watch the videos of other people playing them uh, and, just, and just sort of get a feel for them. That's a really, really important point. Because again, most people's responses are, oh, these things seem scary and these things seem hard and these seem impossible. And you look at them and go, yeah, I'm in, no, no worries. Mm -hmm. So there's two things. They're incredibly easy, relatively speaking, to create but they're incredibly profound in the change they can bring about to education. And that's where I think the other most important thing is we are a highly flawed, unfair system, and we discriminate all the time against people who, um, who are action-focused, not, not, who are learning to do people, not learning to know people. We have massive dropouts in this country. We have massive inequities of education, not because people are lesser and more smart, but because people are good at this sort of symbolic logic that schools thrive at, or they're not. So it's very simple in design. It's massive in its implication. The more we can start propagating short sims as a, as a pedagogy in the same way we have textbooks in the same way that we have lectures and PowerPoint slides, if we can start propagating interactive content, we can bring in huge amounts of the population that we have ruthlessly cut out of education, higher education in any native way, which is just tragic, tragic, tragic. The other thing is now when you start saying things like can schools teach leadership, if you have three or four short sims under your belt, you go, yeah, you know what? Schools can teach leadership. And yeah, you know what? I think I'm going to create some short sims to do that. And we can start, we crack the door open to starting to realize that we can teach these skills that we just couldn't before. And that's going to help all of us. That's going to help our own job security. That's going to help our own relevance in this world. Uh, so not only are we doing good for people who, for whom schools have not been very, a very good fit, but also we are greatly opening up our ability to teach stuff that could never be taught before, which is, and now we're much more valuable to, to our corporate friends. Now we're much more valuable to our students. Now we're much more valuable to ourselves. Uh, we can now, all these things that we used to say, oh, we can't teach project management. We can't teach stewardship. We can't teach innovation. We can't teach relationship management. We can't teach sales. We can't teach you know, all these things that we've trained ourselves to say we can't teach. Wait a minute, maybe 
we can teach stewardship. Sure, why not? Let's teach stewardship. And we can do that through, through interactive content using short sims as sort of as, as a first place to go. Great. Well said. And Bay State faculty that want to get involved with this can reach us out to here at the Office of Instructional Design. I'm happy to walk you through any of this stuff, but go check out shortsims.com. That was backslash examples. Maybe you'll learn how to do something interesting like hack a bank. <laughs> <laughs> yes. If you want to learn how to, with the, the, the great secret of most hackers, uh, you can play one of the short sims. Uh, Jim is an incredible resource. I would, uh, if you're listening to this and you're in, in, in the talk to him, uh, he's, he's incredible and uh, knows his stuff really well and can bring a tremendous wealth of, of knowledge to bear. So use the resource that you have in him. Thanks a lot. Appreciate your time again, Clark. Thank you for joining us on Learning by Design. Tune in next time for more. If you have questions about online design, teaching, or educational technology, feel free to reach out to us at the Virtual Center for Teaching and Learning in Canvas.